a business owner looking for real advice and input, you're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond, welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million, the other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCourcy and Matt Watson. And we're back. Another episode of Startup Hustle. Matt DeCourcy here with Matt Watson. Hi, Matt. What's going on, man? Oh, I'm just, you know, I was thinking about getting some insurance and for the business and a whole lot of other stuff. And I've, I found that it's a maze, man. Literally. Depends on what kind of insurance you're looking for, too. I'm never going to get out of this maze. If there was only a company that could help me do that, I feel like my life would be a lot better. And once again, isn't it amazing how my problems, our problems seem to coincide with who we have with us. Now, before we get too, (laughs) before we get too far into that, today's episode of Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io. We can help you build your software development team quickly and affordably. Also make sure you check out our talking heads on the Startup Hustle YouTube channel. So with us today, we have David Embry, who's the CEO of Milo. Now, you know I like it when you're interactive, so go to choosemilo.com and learn all about what they do while we talk to Dave. David, what's up? Not how much. Thanks for having me in today. Really appreciate you coming by. Um, I just happen to have this problem of being caught in this insurance maze. Is that something you can help me with? Yeah, absolutely. And we know that uh, if you're a small business owner, right, there are a lot of things you want to do. And the least of them is insurance, right? At, at, at best, insurance is the worst investment you'll ever make. You spend all this money over time with the best outcome being, I don't have to use the thing I bought. And so um, you, uh, as a small business owner, you've got to figure out what do I want? What do I need? Um, if you go to um, other places online, they'll say, what insurance do you want? And guess what the answer is? The same answer you have. I don't know, right? So how can we take what we do and the maze that is the insurance space and make it easy for a small business owner to understand what they want or what they need, uh, which care to get it from and bind it quickly. There, I mean, like I just went through a round of, uh, raise some capital and you know, they send you like, Oh, you have to have all these proper insurances and it's just a cluster to even understand what it is they're asking for and all this different crap. And it's, it's definitely not a lot of fun. Yeah, when we started the business, um, right, the problem that we were trying to solve is like for small businesses, right, the downside is you get it wrong and it can put you out of business or you can't raise capital. Um, and um, the hard part about what we do is they're relatively small transactions, right? So when somebody comes to you, you have to effectively be able to get the information that you have about your business, uh, take it in make a recommendation in terms of what coverages you need and then, and only then shop the different carriers to make sure that the risk that you present meets their criteria because carriers are also our clients and uh, and that they do it at a reasonable price. I want to talk a little bit about the, you guys both mentioned not being able to raise capital due to different and not having different kinds of coverage. And like, I'll give a little background because I think a lot of people that haven't done this before don't know why that exists. So for example, a few years ago, I bought a building, an office building, and I was required to have an insurance policy on myself in case I died. Key man insurance, right? Yep. They wanted someone to pay for it. And there's a whole lot of different things. And Matt, maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on like what you needed to have or show for Sacrify or different stuff and why that actually exists. I honestly don't even understand what all of them were, but some of them were things like automotive, like 
if one of my employees yep. is going to meet somebody or whatever and gets in a car wreck or whatever, like that has to be insured. Um, things around like cyber insurance now are big. Yep. Different because, digital type stuff. And, I'm sorry. The, the issue really is if you're going to invest in a, a startup business, what's one of the biggest risks uh, that you have as an investor? Well, there's a lot of them, but data privacy, yeah. confidentiality. Well, what is one of the biggest risks that you can't control or getting, the people that you're investing can't control? Getting sued and getting cleaned out. Yeah, stuff yeah. that happens that you can't yeah. predict, right? Yeah. So um, if I'm investing in a, a business or somebody's investing in my business or your business, the uh, the thing that you can do to protect yourself is make sure they're properly insured, right? So I'm running my business. Um, to your point, you know, one of my employees is driving their auto for my purpose and they hit somebody, right? That can put you out of business, but you can insure for it. Yep. Um, one of the biggest risks that your investors has is uh, when you bought your building, right? What if something happens to you, right? And you're the person that's managing it and you're the person that signed the deal, even though it's in your company's name. They want to make sure that they offset as much of that risk as possible. And they do that by putting a life insurance uh, uh, policy on you. And And with that, I signed a thing that would have that out of that policy it would have paid they're the beneficiary it would have paid off the building my wife would have then owned the building and the remainder of the cash right but yeah it, and you know these are just like weird little things that i think a lot of people don't consider now i think it was interesting the way you mentioned it like uh, okay no one likes buying insurance i mean i don't think confusing we, yeah well and then also it's like you know you're kind of like why i feel like you're throwing money away too. But but at the same time, well, and I mean, I think that that's fair to say that you can feel that way. But at the same time, like, man, there's like a whole there's a whole gamut of stuff that can you can get into that can shut you down. And I, I don't think like I like the way you what, what did you say in the very beginning? It's like the the best worst investment, the worst <laughs> investment you can ever make. Right. You spend all of this money uh, buying or paying for insurance, right? And the best thing that can happen is you never have to use it. Yeah. Right. The worst thing that can happen is you don't have it when you need it. Right. So, right. And, and, you know, as a Americans, right, we're not very good with delayed gratification. I had a guy that used to work for one time that said, if you want to prove that concept, um, look at mini bars in hotels, right? You can pay $5 for Snickers in your hotel room, <laughs> or you can walk, <laughs> you can walk down the hall right? A hundred feet to the place and pay $1.25. Most people pay $5, right? Yeah. It's sort of the same idea. I'm kind of in that boat. I have a funny story about mini bars for another day. About what? <laughs> mini bars. Mini bars. Yeah. <laughs> We're straying far from insurance. I, I, well, and the conversational nature of the podcast sometimes <laughs> leads us in that direction. I'm highly intrigued. I'm in, hang on. Let me make notes. Mini bar story. Is this something we can't share on air? Oh, we could, but you know, it's, it's not about insurance. <laughs> I should have had an insurance policy on my can mini I buy, bar bill. But... I was going to say, can I buy insurance on the mini bar? Because yeah. <laughs> maybe if you had a whole bunch of people that you're putting up in a hotel room, so maybe be cheaper just to not to take the stuff out of the mini bar. So with your company, you guys have made a lot of progress in a four or five year window that you've been around and raised $28 million in investments. So sure. no, no small thing there growing over a hundred employees. Like let's get into the backstory. Like how'd you get into this? Like where did this, where was, where was uh, Milo? Yeah, sure. Where, who, who, how was Milo born? So Milo was born actually in a conversation that I had uh, with the senior Lockton guy, right? That um, 
technology was happening. It happens everywhere. It hadn't happened in the insurance space because insurance is really hard and difficult and insurance carriers don't necessarily, um, you know, want people to have as much transparency as they, as people probably want. But if you think about other industries like, um, you know, like travel or even buying a home or, you know, you can do mortgages, et cetera, you know, all of it's online. Insurance has really been a lag. And my perspective as I was having this conversation was, um, insurance is going to happen to uh, to Lockton anyway, right? because it was Lockton person I was talking to. And let's say, can we, for our listeners' sake, can we give just like ten seconds of background on Lockton and like what they do? Sure, Lockton is the largest independently held insurance brokerage in the world. About uh, based in Kansas, headquartered in Kansas City, but in you know almost every major U.S. city, big international presence, uh, one point seven billion dollars in revenue. Uh, been in business 52, 53 years. Um, if you uh, you know don't know Lockton, or if you have a bigger company uh, that needs property and casualty health um, benefits, uh, health benefits or uh, retirement, Lockton does that nationally for midsize and large companies really, really well, and has done that for a long time. And uh, it's an awesome place. Yeah, and they've been around in Kansas City for quite a while. They were founded in yeah. Kansas City. Yeah. So, and then they you know, have grown. It's a huge success story, right? Mm -hmm. uh, like I said, largest privately held insurance brokerage in the world. Um, and my thesis when we started this business, or the, at least a conversation which evolved into a thesis, was that Lockton had relationships with carriers. Lockton had distribution. Technology was going to happen in the insurance space, just like it has everywhere else. Um, and that Lockton had the ability to um, use their knowledge, dollars, relationships to build a business that didn't compete with what they did, but would ultimately help their core business, right? They didn't do small business. They didn't do uh, individual stuff on a um, non-high net worth basis. And so by taking this investment in technology and uh, using it to optimize and do things that made it easier to do those transactions, um, locked in could build a brand new business, right? And well, well, I think this is a key a key thing that happens in every industry, right? Like the when you're dealing with large enterprises, it's big tickets and it's a different kind of sale. But when you're dealing with small and medium sized businesses, it's much smaller transaction sizes, much higher volume. You need technology. It's all like Stackify. Our customers, on average, don't pay us a lot of money, but we have a lot of them. Where a lot of our competitors only deal with the Fortune 5000, their big checks. And you see this in a lot of industries, right? You got people that optimize for right. SMB and you got people that optimize for the enterprise. No, that's exactly right. And, uh, and you know, Lockton had the foresight and they had a, a business called Lockton Affinity that was doing that in a very, you know, somewhat limited uh, fashion. And the idea was that um, we could use technology to automate and uh, make the ability to provide a Lockton like experience to small businesses or individuals. Uh, a real a reality and is that i mean when you say locked and lock experience is that an intuitive process that through however it is that you're inputting your needs and whatever it gives you options that are narrowed down that are specific to what you might need or want because i think when it comes to insurance people are like how much do i need don't know what i want what do i right. need what is out there like how much does this cost and all those different things and that could be pretty confusing and intimidating if you don't have something to guide you through. Is that? Yeah, no, that's it? exactly right. We started off with Lockton's history, right? So when when we first came out, 
Um, the whole idea was people like you buy things like this, right? We've evolved that to here's an actual recommendation in terms of the mm -hmm. coverage that you need. Right. Right. Because that's the first question that, you, that, that we have to answer. If somebody comes in, we have to say, is this you? Right. And then if all we're doing is automating uh, an insurance policy or an insurance application, which is, you know, 14 pages of information you have to fill out, that's not a very good experience. So we want to take information from partners, from the public domain things that we already have, um, let the potential client just say, yeah, that's me. That's who I am. That's what I do. Uh, and then from that, we make a recommendation, right? Because that's what we're paid to do. We're an insurance uh, broker, right? Advisor. So we make a recommendation in terms of what coverage you need, right? Because that's what you just said. When you come in, the first thing you want to know is what do I need? And you don't know, right? You need a, if you're a small business, you need a BOP, you need general liability, you need professional liability, you need cyber, uh, do you do you need uh, commercial auto? Um, people don't know, right? So the first thing that we do is say, here's the coverages that you need based on what we know about you. And you verified that this was your company and the things that you have. Here are the coverages that you need. And I think I think one of the things you, you I think you downplayed the importance of filling out the 14 page document, though, because for me, even that is a huge value. Like, cause I don't want to fill out your 14 page document. I don't think anybody does. Right. I don't even want to talk about the 14 page document, let alone fill it out. That's, I mean, I'm in that. That's why book. I skipped it. He didn't want to talk about it. Right. So. Right. But, but he's got a good point. Cause you know, that, I mean, it with any, in any business, especially when you're at, when you have a startup, you're getting something going, anything that you're doing, there's just this massive checklist of these one-offs that, that become so distracting and so consuming compared to what you should be doing, which is actually building the business. But at the same time, you have to build a protective shield around the business. That's an important thing too. But when you're a one or two man show and you're a startup, man, that's tough. So it is I think tough. anything that speeds you through that process and helps you make anything informed, and this is insurance or anything, like there are just so many questions that I think you were mentioning before we hit record reading million dollar bedroom and finding it entertaining at the, the maze and the labyrinth that right. I was describing of all the crap you got to set up. And it's just, it's, if you don't have, you don't have experience until you do, but that doesn't help you that first time through. So. And there are lots of partners. We have partners like legal zoom, et cetera, that have ecosystems for small businesses. Mm -hmm. Right. So if somebody comes in and you start a small business, as you said in, in your book, Right. You need to set an LLC up to protect you. You need to set your own bank account up. You need insurance. Right. And all of those things can be relatively simple transactions. You just have to know where to go. First, yeah. you have to know you need it. Second, you have to know where to go. And that's really part of the problem that we're trying to, to, to solve for people. And right. If somebody comes to us, we want them to. And the insurance companies are coming along, too. Right. Give us as little information as they need to so that we can understand who they are and what they do so that we can make a recommendation in terms of coverage. Right. Um, so does does Milo source a bunch of different insurance providers? Yeah, sure. So is that basically what it's doing? It's just like, you know, like I said, there. I mean, how many different insurance carriers are there? There's a lot, like thousands, there? probably. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, how, how the hell do we narrow that down? Right. So it's is what, that yeah. is that something you wanted to talk about, Matt? Not a thousand really. different insurance <laughs> no. companies. Can you name all of them? No. I don't know. Milo.com. Is that where I go? It's actually choose, choose Milo.com. Milo. Okay. Yeah. Choose Milo.com. Just go yeah. there. Yeah. Sony owned uh, Milo.com, 
right? Because <laughs> ain't nobody got time for this. Matt, your 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 excitement for insurance as a whole is overwhelming in the studio right now. Yeah. And for those of you that really want to capture the essence of Watson's in, uh, insurance excitement, you can look at Matt directly on the Startup Hustle YouTube channel. <laughs> By the way, if you hear a thud, that's me throwing something at Matt to get him to wake up. On... But that's the point, right? Yeah. Nobody wants to think about insurance, no. right? And so if you think about what Lockton did, um, like they make recommendations in terms of coverage, right? And that's what people come to them for. And they have relationships with insurance carriers. And we've... Uh, whittled down the world, right, to uh, different uh, carriers that meet uh, certain criteria for us that have appetite for risk that's presented by these small businesses and individuals. And you've got different carriers, obviously, for the small commercial business than you do for uh, the individual. So your house and your car, then you do for your health care, then you do uh, for life insurance. And we have access to all of them. We've integrated with all of them. And it's our job to make a recommendation in terms of what coverage you need. And then ultimately, which carrier should you go to at the, at the, uh, at a reasonable price? Um, and that's what you pay us to do. Well, and I, I think that's the key is if you guys can, you know, you guys go to all the different events through the year, you keep up with the industry, right? You know, which carriers are good. They offer the right products. They are take good care of their clients, all that sort of stuff. Right. And you can say, okay, these are the two or three, you know, narrow it down. To me, I'm the kind of guy that I would rather go to Trader Joe's and there's one kind of mayonnaise to buy than to go to some grocery store where there's 23 and I have to pick. And I'm not an expert and I don't know which of the 23 anyways. Serve me up. Tell right. me which one's good. If you're an expert on mayonnaise, will you please comment anywhere? Yeah, on come this at episode? us. We would love to help <laughs> Matt with this problem because do you actually go to Trader Joe's? Yeah. You do? I like Trader Joe's. No, I don't. Do you actually go to grocery shopping? I usually use Instacart, but That's I do point. go to That's Trader Joe's sometimes. That's what I thought. But, but my point is, is being able to serve up to the clients like, hey, there's a thousand people that sell this <laughs> you know, insurance or whatever, but these are the two carriers that are really good. Yeah, so that's, that's what you pay. I mean, that's exactly what we do. We make a recommendation to you in terms of here's the coverage you need and here's the care you need. Now, if you have an issue with that care, because maybe they did something to you in the past, we can go to another one, but you're paying us for that recommendation. And that's what Lockton has always done for really large businesses. And that's what we're using technology in our call center to do. Uh, for small businesses and individuals. I want to talk about that for a second. So I want to rewind earlier in the time frame. So now we've, we've established what you guys do now and 28 million in funding later and all this stuff. But let's go back early into the, the, now we always joke about what people call a startup because Uber was still a startup before they went public. And we've determined that if your business name has become a verb, you are no longer a startup. We work as now a start down. Maybe, maybe who knows what? Yeah. I don't want to get into that. I know a couple of people that work there. They might not appreciate my comments. They might've got laid off this week. Maybe. Um, I don't know if that's true either. So let's go back early. So you talk about all the technology and all the different stuff you've built. And when I think about thousands of insurance carriers and intuitive process, that's got to ask different questions, based on different stuff, link up to different things, like do a lot of this, I think, Oh, wow, that's a maze. It's a different maze. So what were some of the things, what were some of the early challenges? Like you've clearly built a big, a big company. You're on the rise. You're one of Kansas city's most funded companies and congrats on that. By Thank the you. Way. Um, but let's go back to the early shit show 
and, uh, and, and take our listeners through that. Cause what's important to remember is every success story, the baby's always ugly in the beginning. I, I say that a lot. Baby's still ugly. Yeah. Well, right. <laughs> Looks right. like me. Yeah. And that's the, <laughs> see, I've got the good I genes. Pi- and... I just pictured that and I don't, thanks. Thanks. That... I must have good genes because my baby's not ugly. What, what, which baby are you talking about here? <laughs> Um, anyway, I think they're, yeah, that baby don't look like me is, is also a decent <laughs> response on some regards. So there's actually a song about that. You should look it up. That that's my mixtape answer going forward, by the way, okay. when we play, but let's, let's get back into that. Cause I, one of the things that our listeners often tell me is they enjoy hearing from people like you about all the challenges and struggles they went through. Cause it makes them under feel and understand, Hey man, I'm not failing. This is just part of the process. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. So the, so, but just by background, I was at JP Morgan for the better part of 20 years. We had a retirement business, um, right. Uh, that, that was going through some changes that we were combining it with, um, a couple of the retirement businesses now called them power retirement, big, uh, retirement business. And as that was happening, they had some opportunities for me that they wanted us to go, um, outside the U S for, I was looking for some stuff to do. I did something with another insure insurance play and I got to know the locked in guys. And when, after we had that initial, um, you know, idea meeting, uh, the feedback was put a proposal together and we'll pitch it to the locked in board and, uh, we'll see what happens. Right. And so we did. Um, and it was a general idea, right? We said, we want to use insurance technology to change the way that people buy insurance. That was the main thesis, right? We had three sort of points. One was we could leverage locked in for their insurance relationships. We could leverage locked in for distribution. Um, and we could generally uh, outsource the technology and white label the interaction um, that, or the, the, the interface that we built for our prospective clients. So for those, on those three points for our thesis, we were right on distribution. We were right on insurance relationships. We were completely wrong, um, on having to own the technology piece. Um, our first uh, iteration of this, uh, didn't go so well, right? We were actually called locked in marketplace. And after that, we did our first, you know, I guess what in your vernacular for startup vernacular, you call it pivot, right? Um, we hired 12 engineers, right? That one of our advisory board members introduced us to, and he had been saying all along and he was right, we were wrong. Um, and we hired 12 engineers and said, we need to own this technology because if we don't get that right, it's all wrong. Uh, number two, we were called Locked in Marketplace. And so for those people online, you can see my shirt that says Milo. Um, uh, and go to choosemilo. Choosemilo.com. That's right. And, and so we learned the second thing that is if it doesn't fit on a shirt or a golf ball, right, your name is too long. I actually talked about that in my book too. I said <laughs> I use the, the if, it, if it won't fit in a Twitter handle. Right. Your name is it might too be, long. It might be too long. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we rebranded, used a local company. Um, and, you know, this is all with locked in support. And this whole time you're, in, you're incubating who we were so that we could pay people and have place for people to sit inside a, um, a locked in company, a locked in series here in Kansas City. Um, and then, you know, we said, okay, this is what we want to do. This is what we've learned. We want to do personal lines and commercial lines. Um, and we want to own those, right? And so we built those out uh, over the course of a year. Uh, we actually wanted to prove we could sell, so we used somebody else's inter- interfaces with carriers, um, and then we did, um, and we started scaling it and building it out, right? And then we 
Um, you know, we, we go through this whole process of, you know, it's really iterative, right? We have a, we have a perspective. We launch that, right? We learn something from it. We make changes. We do it again. We do more of the things that work and less of the things that don't. And we were, you know, and we, uh, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. Um, and, um, you know, the same thing from a distribution standpoint, right? We thought we can't compete with Warren Buffett and flow and, you know, and, and, uh, Peyton Manning, uh, for nationwide and they spend literally, you know, hundreds of millions, if not a billion dollars a year on advertising. Right. So we can't go out and get these small businesses, um, and, uh, do it from a, uh, a broad brand perspective, but Lockton's got, um, relationships, like I talked about LegalZoom, where we can go in and be an extension of who they are, uh, in their ecosystem for their client and be the insurance expert. And that was sort of our go-to-market strategy. We actually launched our business with them. Um, and it's proven to be, uh, you know, very successful. And then we're always looking for, uh, other companies who have a trusted advisory relationship, who interface with individuals or small businesses who have information on those individuals or small businesses that we can get electronically, right? Um, so we don't have to ask them the, the, any information on that 14-page questionnaire that they don't want to fill out, where we can make a recommendation in terms of coverage um, and do all of those things um, as electronic as possible. As much as we would like for uh, 100% of our business to happen online, uh, the fact of the matter is 99% of it still happens in the call center and in our wildest dreams. Right. And three or four years, maybe 15 or 20 percent of it actually happens online. You can go to choosemilo.com. You can go out, get a recommendation in terms of coverage, get a recommendation in terms of care and bind insurance right now. But the world, we don't believe, is really ready for that. And I think of it a lot like surfing a wave. Right. You don't know when it's going to break, but it's going to. And if you're not surfing it when it does, you have no chance of getting there. Right. And that's sort of the groundwork that we've laid in the insurance space. Um, to, uh, you know, learn a lot, build a lot of things, do these integrations with carriers, which you can imagine is uh, a big part of what we do. Um, and uh, take the information that we get from potential insureds, you know, put it in our, our data warehouse layer, machine learning on top of it, so that ultimately um, the algorithm that we started with in terms of if this is you, this is what you need, uh, will ultimately get smarter um, and better, and it will be making recommendations that um, are broader in nature uh, and more detailed. Um, and you know, from our perspective, that helps our agents be better agents. That help uh, that that helps us be more consistent, and that's really what we're trying to build. So, from the very beginning, did did you think that these strategic partnerships would be your go to market strategy, or did you originally have a different? We did. Right, and that, when I talked about locked in, ha locked in having distribution, they did, mm -hmm. and that's what we thought were, uh, was really different. Right, I called it alternative distribution versus buying leads, um, or, uh, or or doing some broad based advertising where we made the phone ring. Well, and so when you're trying to reach a big audience like that, it's hard to figure out a go to market strategy. Like you said, you know, an ad in the Super Bowl is one way to do it, but very can't afford it, right? right? And so at Stackify, we went the content marketing route. We do a lot of content marketing that helps us cast a wide net. We we collect you know a lot of leads and business businesses that way. Strategic partnerships is an, is another great way to do it. But I think the key advantage you guys had is you had a 
investor slash partner or whatever in Lockton that unlocked that, right? Because that's right. if you were just a random Joe off the street that was trying to do this without that relationship with Lockton, this would have been infinitely more difficult. There's right? no question. That's true. Like that that strategic partnership with Lockton unlocked all the partner all their partners. Yeah, there's no question. And Lockton, you know, you, you talked about us raising twenty million dollars. Lockton funded this thing for a few years before we did that. Right. So, um, you know, to their great credit, right, they got um, that insurance was going to or technology was going to influence and change insurance. You know, there's something in, in that you just reminded me of that Sandy Kemper said when he was in last week. He said, I, I wish every founder the the right to have the lowest valuation from the greatest investor possible. That's right. And it like, I'd never heard anybody say that because it sounds kind of weird at first, honestly. But then you think about it, you're like having people that have a vested interest in what you're doing and want to open doors for you, want to shorten the path of all that, want to get you lined up with the people that matter is pr really more valuable. It's priceless. Yeah. I mean, and it's it, the yeah, reason that yeah. we exist today, yeah. right? The foresight and the um, buy-in that locked in had initially. And then when we raised capital, you know, one of the challenges that we had was like, you know, like a lot of people was raising capital, probably you guys too, you know, like what's your plan for exit, right? And you no, know, Lockton owns us, right? And, and we don't really have like a specific plan to exit this business, right? It, we could build it and run it. In fact, if you talk to the folks that if you talk to David Lockton, he would tell you, we want to build it and run it. We think it's a, you know, the future of insurance and um, we don't know that we want to exit, right? So finding a strategic partner that had the time horizon and that believed in what we did was probably the hardest part of raising capital. And Guggenheim was perfect. They, they, you know, they own insurance companies, right? So their time horizon is really, really long. Well, you're one of the original founders of this, right? I started. So, but if Lockton is a majority or one of the majority owners, does that sort of prevent you from getting an exit though? Um, no, don't really discuss. I have my, I have an opportunity to exit. So okay. Just, all right. It just is an alternative opportunity to exit versus what a traditional. Yeah. Uh, at some point in time, you got to get them to buy you out or. Yeah. Dave, if you about. could just write your number on a piece of paper and slide that over to me, I'll let people know <laughs> if, we're, if we're accepting, if we're, if we're in on that. Um, so we like to talk about failure as well. Um, I think that, you know, you just described being part advisor and, and sales channel dependent on some regard. Now, Matt spent, we've both spent time in the past talking about how sometimes sales channels can be false in their promise. Like they look great. Yeah. And Matt, you have some oh, stories yeah. around that and you know, you, it's easy as a business, uh, it, early to be like, Oh wow, there's this whale. And it's, it's not just swimming up to the boat. It looks like it's swimming in the boat. Wow. Is this really this easy? What advice can you give to startup founders for recognizing when a sales channel is potentially valuable and when they might just be a huge time suck? Yeah, no, it's one of the biggest things that, you know, that we learned, we probably have 30 channel partners. Um, and they all matter. Right. Mm -hmm. But five of them drive um, 90 percent of our volume. Well, right? but getting lined up with them and set up for them can be really consuming of your resources, your time and your attention. So yeah. if, if that's going to be what you're going to put all your energy into and it and they don't care about you as much as you care about them, then. Eh. Yeah, no question. And so when we started, right, it was uh, place a lot of little bets. Right. And so and see which one, uh, you know, uh, really starts to pay dividends. Uh, because we didn't know what success would look like. And, you know, in terms, I love your uh, analogy to sort of a false positive around, 
I mean, it looks like it'd be an awesome partner, but it's not going to, right? And so over the last few years, right, we want to go deeper with fewer. And then we also have set up a, a mechanism to uh, stand up channel partners very easily using technology that don't that doesn't require a lot of our uh, resources to do that. So we have a home for people that we want to invest in in different places. And then we're going to go really deep and invest really deeply uh, with fewer people where we have a high confidence level. And from our perspective, um, the right channel partner looks like this, right? They have a trusted advisor relationship with their uh, with, with their uh, constituency, right? They have the ability to hook, to, uh, hook up to us um, in, a, in a, an electronic way. Right, we have the ability to co-market to their clients to take advantage of their trusted advisor relationship, um, uh, and ideally, they sit at an inflection point where somebody needs to buy insurance, right? Whether or not they know it, um, they they do. So I'm buying a house, I'm uh, starting a business, I'm moving into my first location for a business, um, I'm hiring employees for the first time, right? If we can get in those inflection points and be a natural extension of the relationship that our channel partner already has with them, uh, that's ideal. And then um, volume, right? 10,000, you know, tens of thousands of opportunities um, make moves the needle for us, right? And these are all things that we've learned. And the last and probably most important thing is uh, executive buy-in, right? So if your channel partner um, doesn't have executive buy-in, meaning they will do things with their resources that they could put somewhere else. Uh, they won't be, they won't get to the scale that uh, uh, their potential initially uh, convince you that they could. And I want to simplify that a little bit. You're referring to the leadership of your potential sales channel partner buying into using you like, Hey, we're going to focus effort. We're going to do something to push people towards the sales channel. That's right. Yeah. Our biggest partners, the relationships are at the, you know, C-suite um, mm -hmm. or senior VP suite, people that have the ability to make decisions around uh, resources, right? Am I going to put resources on this or not? And well, go ahead. so from my, I had a lot of experience with this from my Venn Solutions days mm -hmm. because uh, it's got to be a win-win. So at Venn Solutions, you know, we, we sold a software product to car dealers and we had lots of people that wanted us to be a channel partner, wanted us to sell their shit, whatever it was, some widget tool thing. Right. And the problem was, it's like, if I have to pay my salespeople, I'd rather pay them to sell my shit than to sell your shit. Right. That's it's right. got to be a win win. But there were, you know, things that worked really well for us were things that were integrations. Like we had an integration with Kelly Blue Book or something. Right. So it's like. That made our product better, so it made sense for us to sell that thing. So we had a vested interest in it. That's right. Right? Or it's got to be something that can make us a lot of revenue without a lot of effort. Right? Like, it, it's got you got to find the right type of partnership that makes sense. Or ideally, it's a good integration where once you set the integration up, it, it completes or helps facilitates your either transaction as a channel partner or in, uh, deepens the relationship that you have with your client, and it makes you some money. Right. Yep. And if you, if you put all those things together, that's why you get executive buy-in. I have a couple of comments about sales channels as well. Cause if you have two people in your company, you're not ready for them. <laughs> um, you mentioned resources and stuff like that. You're it takes gonna, a lot of work. Well, you're going to find really quickly that, you know, here's the thing is any company that's worth having as a sales channel partner is going to vet you on some level. And if you have two people at your company, they're going to just tell you, 
I don't think you can support. I this. love your idea. I love your idea, but we could pump 10,000 things at you a day. So with that, you know, like you might not be ready. So, you know, it's, it's something to keep on the horizon, but it's, I mean, it's a chick, it's that classic chicken and egg issue. You're like, how do we get big enough without all these leads? But you have to be able to pre prepare for that. And I know that firsthand from when we were launching Gigabook and we only had four people and we pursued several sales channels and that's <laughs> love the product, love the idea, love you, but we could literally send you so much business, how are you going to handle that with a well, five-person company? This is another example of where having um, an organization like Lockton standing behind us really gave our potential clients um, the ability to believe that we could scale. Yeah, yeah right? absolutely. Yep, you know? yep. And that was part of it too. And some of the things too is, you know, sales channel partners also want to know that you're not going to go out of business, that you're well capitalized. And so, you know, I, I learned some tough lessons with that. And then, you know, Matt, you've shared some in the episodes in the past about how sometimes, you know, those false positives and they can, and we had one experience and, you know, we really, it sucked up three months of our bandwidth and then it didn't pan out. Right. And, and I learned a lot from that. So now one thing that we can all learn a lot from is playing mixtape the game with yeah. our friends and podcast guests. So that was great. Uh, Dave has a slightly <laughs> terrified look on his face, but I have no gonna, idea what this is. Well, mixtape, mixtape the game. And you are going to leave with a, your own copy of mixtape the game. Sounds good. So mixtape the game.com. We play this with a lot of guests. I've pulled a card out of the mixtape deck, people. I'm going to read a scenario. We're all going to name a song that we think fits our answer. We will vote. You may not vote for yourself. The winner gets to fire the money gun. Righteous, <laughs> righteously quitting a job and throwing a cheeseburger at your shitty boss. And I'm going to go with cheeseburger in paradise because it seems fitting, I thought about going with Margaritaville because when I quit my job like that, that's also where I'm headed. I guess I got to go with take this job and shove it. Mm, I like that one. You took mine, so I'll go with... The Were you going with that? I was going with Cheeseburger and Paradise, but I'll change it to yeah. uh, Running with the Devil just because Ooh, I like the song. So. Man, I got a tough choice here because <laughs> I'm going with Dave. I'm going with Dave. I don't know that song. Can you sing it for running me? Running with the Devil. Van Halen. Yeah, man. All right, and, I'll, and, I'll go with that because I don't like voting for you anyway. I know you don't. <laughs> I like Never Win, and but I should. Would you like to fire our money yeah, gun? Yeah, fire the money gun. All right, so hang on. We got to get, we're working on an all time video compilation of this. So here you go. Fire it. You can fire it however you want. Some people actually just shoot Watts and it's up to you. <laughs> I'm covered right. in money. Yeah. But they're singles. But they're singles. But they're, sing they're single hundreds. You know, we, we learn a lot no. about our guests about the reaction to them being singles. Uh, you know what? Some I'm going to run into Kevin Lockett, and he's going to be like, dude, how many times have you told my money gun story on the podcast? So yeah. I'm going to say all the time. Kevin, you know, Kevin, legend, do, you know, sure. do you know, Kevin, you know, chiefs, former chiefs, he, he won, he fired the money gun about four bills came out and he goes, they're only ones and just put it back down. And I, at that point I realized that I still haven't made it yet. There's Dang. a whole nother level here. Yeah. I was like, wow, <laughs> wow. That's, that's uh, um, here's another one, Matt. We need more money in the money gun. I think that's what we should really put our focus towards in 2020 is how we can get 27 more dollars. Well, congratulations on winning mixtape. That was great. Thank you. I look yeah. forward to taking the uh, mixtape home. Yeah, you'll. So. It's fine. <laughs> 
Okay, we have the app coming soon. Matt, you played the app recently, right? I did when I was at the Full Scale office in Cebu. I'm hoping to. Uh, we we own part of Mixtape, so yeah, we're launching the app. The app's going to be fun. We're making it. Try, we want to make it awesome. We'll be back there shortly together, right? So we will in December. So it'll be yeah. great. We can play. We can play again. And I'm planning on. I'm going to beat you. And we can take the money gun. Actually, my new machine learning algorithm has perfected did, the perfect answers. Did you figure out day. if we can take the money gun through customs? Okay, I've gone through this before because people always ask about the money gun. Flying with any gun-shaped object on an airplane is <laughs> very <laughs> inadvisable. You could probably check it, though. I, yeah, I just feel like, you know, I mean, if, you know. That exit over there. I, I may... <sighs> I need, I need a lo- if you have a local source of supreme money guns in the Philippines, I'm open. Get a to 3D printer and have them print one over there. I just want to be going through the security it line. A lot more expensive and than pull the this 20 out. Bucks I paid for that. I want to pull this out of my laptop bag. Like, yeah, wow, yeah. And then you go to jail. So yeah, can <laughs> and then I, I buy shoot a money poli- at TSA? Can I buy a policy on that? On uh, going to jail? On co-founder stupidity. Do you guys cover that? (laughs) We don't, but I'm sure somebody probably would. I feel like that actually is worth insurance. That's a problem we're solving, right? Or like co-founder qualification. I think I'm on to something, man. I like the light bulb just popped. Like we talk about all this machine learning and AI. So, da- hey, David, thank you for coming in. Sure. Thanks um, for having me. It was been, great. There's nothing better. Wait than, a second. Yeah, what? Can I get insurance for an uh, employee getting kidnapped? I'm sure you can get insurance Probably. in a foreign country. I'm sure can we not can. give motherfuckers ideas, please? <laughs> Sorry. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure you can get that insurance. You okay. can get insurance for flying somebody need out if they have something you bad happens. Get to that. Them. You can get that, I'm sure. <laughs> My God. Thank you, Matt. No problem. Your your contribution to every episode. Is what you should do is yeah. buy insurance on his life. So if something yeah. happens to him while he's kidnapped, then shh. <laughs> I've already got it. <laughs> Kidding. No, where he's the benefit. I've been trying to get my wife to kill me for years. I'm like, you'd be way better off yeah. if you just knock me off. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with that, on such a sunny note, once again, today's episode of Startup Hustle was brought to you by Fullscale.io. If you want to see the video of Dave firing a money gun, it'll be on the at Startup Hustle podcast Instagram at some point. And maybe point. even TikTok, as we finally figured out what that actually is. Well, you have to tell me. Yeah. <laughs> Just so you know? Just so I know. Oh, yes. Are you going to tell me to take it down? Oh, no. Okay. You, when I send you your own Money Gun video, you'll be the one that posts it. That's right. what we find. Is everyone's like going to Better you know, run it by the... They don't care about... Yeah. So, um, well, every, every legal department knows that firing a money gun is the best thing anybody can do for their business. But anyway, with that, (laughs) we like to end our episodes with what we call the founders freestyle. Um, sometimes we leave things unresolved. People want to go back and visit those points. Sometimes we want to give advice, anything you might want to say to the startup world in general. No, I think, um, you know, if I look back over the last few years, I mean, the biggest thing we had was somebody that believed in what we were trying to do, right? Because you start off with a concept and then you learn a bunch and, um, you know, you make more mistakes and hopefully then you want to, and hopefully you make more good decisions and bad decisions. And, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, it, it's just a journey, right? And I feel like we're, you know, 20% of the way through ours. And, um, you know, most days it's fun and every day it's hard. And uh, if you don't love that, don't do it. I think that was well put. 
Master Watson. Yeah, I think Milo is a great example where um, a joint venture slash strategic partnership, strategic investor with a large corporate entity can work extremely well if done right. You know, Milo's success, you know, has a lot of its uh, uh, success because of the partnership with Lockton. And I think there's a lot of companies like Lockton, they could have built Milo, right? They, they do $1.7 billion a year in revenue or whatever you said, but they don't have the agility, the talent, the entrepreneurial, you know, spirit. They, they like all those things, right? And so the more that we can get big companies to partner with people like yourself and other, other entrepreneurs who are willing to move fast and take risk and be agile and, and do these things, the better, you know, um, every big company has things like this they'd like to do. And the more we could get them to partner with other people in the uh, community to actually do them, the better. You know? There's actually a word for it. It's called intrapreneurship. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's what we did, right? Yep. I've so seen a lot more of that all over. I mean, a lot. Yeah. Like, you know, Black and Beach locally is an example. Then we, we just work directly with their These, clean tech people and yeah. stuff like that. And, and like, I think it's smart. And some of the people that we've talked to that, like Black and Beach is working with, like they had a huge leg up. Like, yep. yeah, we're doing this thing. Black and Beach loves it. Black and Beach is going to help us put it in their projects, work with their mm -hmm. clients, like all same sort of thing. Just That's good, right. Good top level partners. And, those, and, yeah. those things can really work really well when done right. And, that that's yeah. a big way to help entrepreneurship and innovation, right? Is is these types of partnerships. So So as we close, Dave, thank you for passing me that slip of paper. I'm gonna have to turn down this offer. <laughs> <laughs> it's too low. I would I really want to pay you more. Um now I'm gonna close out by saying something simple. You know, every, your business needs insurance. And if if you're looking to get funded and do different stuff. One thing that's going to really send up a, a signal flare that you don't know what the hell you're doing is you buying that policy a day before you're asking for someone's that's money. Right. I mean, it just kind of shows that you didn't have the foresight. You're like, oh, I need insurance. Like that's a pretty basic pillar of starting a business. And I, when we talk about insurance, like it's really, it's not overwhelmingly expensive. I mean, especially for a business that has a couple people and barely any revenue or whatever. It depends what you do, obviously what you do, but it's not, I mean, it's not going to break your bank and it's something you need to have in place because you're putting all your heart, your effort, your passion into what you do and you don't want something stupid to tip that over and it's not worth it for what you're, you know, like I said, to, to need it and, you know, protect your own dream. Um, much like Dave said at the beginning, it's something that you hope you never have to use for a whole bunch of different reasons. But, you know, I, I think that it's pretty cool. I, I like what you guys are doing. I like anything that, that speeds up that onboarding process. I'm just, I'm a nut when it comes to onboarding. I'm like, don't make me, I love the part where anytime you can grab info and pre-populate something, thank you. Right. Just thank you. Like, please people build your own stuff to be like that. Don't make me fill out the same thing over and over again. So, well, once again, David, thank you for coming in. Congratulations on the mixtape crown. I, I would that. probably go back to the office and tell everybody gloat that you were. Yeah. I mean, yeah. really, really like, I'm tell not her. a big gloater. So it's, well, the it's the highlight of your year. I'll wait until they uh, see it on the podcast. There you go. See y'all. Surprised. Yeah. See y'all next time. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle. Startup Hustle.